0: Well, good morning, Saints. I invite you to turn or scroll to First John, First John chapter 5. Last week, we focused on an extraordinary concept in God's Word, the concept of being an overcomer. Jesus said, I have overcome the world to Matthew's prayer earlier. He said, do not fear, do not worry. In this world, you will face tribulation. You will experience chaos all around you. But he said, John sixteen thirty three, I have overcome the world. The essence of what it means to be a Christian is that we are united with Christ. Therefore, because Christ has overcome the world, you and I are overcomers. That is a beautiful gospel truth. I encourage you to consider that, reflect on it, remind yourself as many times as you need to hear that because we all need to hear that truth. Christ has overcome and I am in Christ so today we immerse ourselves in a remarkable passage complete with vivid imagery intrigue I'll just call it my own commentary apostolic smackdown ah trying to pull you in see that As you read John's letter here, his epistle, I've mentioned he kind of, you know, he cycles in and out. He hits the same concepts throughout his letter. But there's one thing I want to highlight is, as he gets to the end, you can feel it pulsating. The strength with which John, the elderly apostle at this time, perhaps one of the last ones standing, is giving God's truth to God's people living in tumultuous times, facing adversity, facing opposition, facing persecution. Wanting, we'll call them us, his sheep, if you will, wanting his flock to know that Christ has overcome the world. We must be about serving him, walking with him, being filled with the joy that God gives us as we do that. So let's read our text this morning. It is beginning in 1 John 5, verse 6. We read this. This is he who came by water and blood. He's speaking of Christ, he, this, continuing the thought. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and water and blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not Have the son of God does not have life. So I realized yesterday there's no way we're going to make it through this entire passage. So this will be kind of a a part one. Um, So don't be alarmed if I kind of skip over the end. I'm not avoiding anything. We're just going to give it its proper attention. Now that was an abrupt beginning to this passage. What does John mean? When have you ever heard it said of someone that they came by water and blood? That is very vivid. That is not something we're accustomed to hearing. There have been many attempts to explain what this is. You know, maybe one of them might be that spear thrust into Jesus on the cross Water and blood. But if you read John's words, he says blood and water. That's not what he's speaking of. This concept of water and the blood is best understood, and the consensus is, to think of the bookend of Jesus' ministry. G- the inauguration of his ministry upon his baptism And the crowning aspects of his earthly ministry being the blood that he shed on the cross. So that's how we'll understand this passage that John is saying that Jesus came by water and blood. That is his earthly ministry was focused on his baptism. The book inaugurated with his baptism and the crowning aspect of his earthly ministry being at the cross, but perhaps what's more important is not the what, but the why, why is John making this point? So let's kind of dissect this just a little bit. Notice John's language. When speaking of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you will find very peculiar language in the New Testament or the Old Testament as well. How do you explain, how do you adequately convey that God has taken up residence among us? That beautiful saying, Emmanuel, God with us. Words fail when we're trying to capture the the fullness and the beauty of that. I mean, I don't mean they fail as if you can't say it, but it's hard to wrap our brains around what he's saying. Notice the word that John uses. He says, he came. You find a lot of references just like that in the New Testament regarding Jesus. Not so much born. You know, we might say so-and-so was born for this, born for such a day of this. You know, Michael Jordan was born to play basketball, those type things. That's not what the scripture says. Because they want to avoid any idea that Jesus, if I can say, began in Bethlehem. No. No. In fact, turn or scroll just a page before that, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. This is a beautiful verse. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Watch this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. There's another way of putting it. He appeared. It's a very unique and strong word. Speaking of Bethlehem, he showed up. It was like an abrupt. He appeared. There he is. Look at that. The son of God. He's here. In fact, let's take your Bibles. John. Let's go to John's gospel. John chapter 1. You might recall that there are four gospel accounts. They give an account of Jesus' life and ministry. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call the synoptic gospels. It means to see through the same lens, right? So you have very similar accounts. They are reporting for you what took place. This is who Jesus is. This is what happened, Of course, when you turn the page from Malachi in the Old Testament and you hop over 400 years of prophetic silence, you begin the New Testament with with Matthew, the Jewish author, speaking mainly to Jews, saying this is Jesus Christ and he gives his genealogy. He says, y'all need to listen to what I'm about to tell you because this one meets the requirements to be our Messiah. Now, John... John's a little different. John gives different angles of Jesus' ministry because he is really expanding this for us non-Jews to fully understand, to comprehend who Jesus is. For those of us who may not have been schooled in years and years and centuries before us of, of Jewish truth, So here's how John introduces Jesus in John chapter one, the first three verses. In the beginning was the Word. That's his word for Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Yeah, have fun with the rest of the letter. You got to put your mind around that. He was with God. He is God. He was with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Right there, in plain English, plain Greek, is Immediately, what everyone in their generation would understand what John is speaking to. Jesus is creator God. He is not merely another Jewish rabbi. He is God. With God in the beginning is God, created all things. Apart from him, nothing has been made that has been made. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory. We've seen it. We're eyewitnesses. Verse um, 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came, came, same word, came through Jesus Christ. This one who was with God in the beginning, who is God, who created everything that you're laying eyes on. He came when he came, truth came when he came, grace came. Remember, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 14, verse 6. You will see those concepts, truth and life, just pulsate all throughout John's writings, the gospel, his letter, all of those things. So Jesus came. Now this is what John is actually speaking to. It may not be as familiar to us, but back then there was a heresy that is a, something that is egregiously not true. About Jesus that was circulating every generation has their own issues we got to work through and some of them were, kind of remain the same in the core but basically the idea was this this secret hidden knowledge the Gnosticism that John was speaking to the idea was that Jesus and the Christ are actually separate Jesus was just a man just a Jewish guy born. And at his baptism, that's when the Christ, the God part of him, showed up at his baptism for those three or so year ministries that he ministered. But then, when the cross came, well, that Christ left before the cross took place. This is what John is speaking to. It's why I use the word smackdown, because I like it. We must not shrink back from speaking the truth to upholding the truth when it comes to matters such as these. So John is speaking specifically to this misguided notion that was rampant then. But it matters immensely for us today as well. Even if we don't encounter something like that, the truth that he has to say is remarkable. Jesus came by water and the blood. So early on in the gospel accounts, we're told that Jesus was baptized. So I'm just giving you a little background here. Remember John the Baptist objected. John was doing his baptism of repentance And people were coming in droves making the Pharisees angry and he was baptizing people because they were repenting right then and there. What do you do when Jesus gets in the water? What do you do? I don't blame him. What did he say? This needs to be switched around. I mean, I may be baptizing these sinners over here, but I'm fully aware of who I am. I'm a sinner as well. This needs to be you baptizing me. What did Jesus say? To fulfill all righteousness. This was the beginning of the ministry, the active obedience of Jesus Christ. John's baptism was a baptism of, Of repentance. Isn't it odd. That the one who is without sin. Wants to be baptized. This is the active obedience of Jesus. On our behalf. You see. Sometimes we reduce it. Our understanding of the cross by saying that Jesus was without sin. So he was the one who could die for us. That is true. But it's not the whole truth. The whole truth is that not only was Jesus without sin. Without guilt. But he actively, proactively kept God's law. Upheld his righteousness. So when he died. He died a righteous, sinful man. Sinless man, excuse me. Don't fast forward to the cross. What the gospel writers give us is the beautiful account of the active obedience of Jesus Christ. Never, not once veering from God's moral righteousness. But oh, Where did that land him? He died covered in his own blood on the cross. And he bled plenty before he got to Golgotha. Whipped, beaten, crown of thorns. His precious blood flowed for you and for me. John says he came by water and the blood. Do not alter the narrative. But wait. John then makes a jarring statement as if this is not vivid enough. He says, hang on. He did not just come by water. He came by water and blood. Why would he make that statement? You just said it, John. Because the angle of every demonic lie is to belittle, sidestep, Ignore the cross of Christ. John is having none of it. So John says, you need to understand Jesus for who he is. His ministry here on earth bookended by the, by his baptism and by his suffering and by the cross. But do not dare erase the cross. Or make up your own little story. Because the cross is the absolute foundation of who we are as believers in Christ. Remember what Paul told the Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4. I passed on to you that which was of first or most importance. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. That he was buried, meaning he actually did die. And that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. The New Testament testimony of Christ is simply the outflow of the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures. Remember we took some time recently to preach a couple months on why did Jesus die? Why did he have to die? What was the purpose? What was it? John is just hitting on the exact same theme. You cannot remove the cross from the gospel. You cannot have a bloodless Christianity. You cannot take the cross and move it several spaces over so you almost don't even talk about it, but we talk about something else. There are so many attempts, then and now, to minimize the cross, to sidestep the cross, John, with his apostolic authority, elderly, suffering for the gospel in isolation, bolts that door shut. I invite you to uh, to turn if you will, to your right, no, no, to your left, actually. Uh, to Hebrews chapter 2. I just want to give you one of many examples that we could give regarding um, the blood. Look at, um, I'm just going to read actually from verse 14. Chapter two, since therefore the children, you and I share in flesh and blood, that's obvious, he himself, this is not obvious, likewise partook of the same things. Emmanuel, God with us. Why? That through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is the devil. Remember what John said, he came to destroy the works of the devil. And to deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring Now, this is really important. When you look at Scripture, when you look in the Old Testament, the New Testament, when you look at the the book of Revelation, and you you see the angels gathered worshiping God, they are acknowledging the holiness and the glory and the power and the beauty and the might and the sovereignty of Almighty God. But they will never sing the song of redemption. Because they haven't been redeemed. You haven't. That is a distinct song for you and for me to sing. Not just with our lips, but with our life. We're the ones who have been redeemed. Redeem means to buy out of. We were bought out of the marketplace of sin and the condemnation and the guilt associated with that. We were bought out of that by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So that he might make for himself a, his own people, a nation if you will. Zealous for good works. To sing his praises. Let's continue in Hebrews 2. Uh, verse 17. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. That's the incarnation. So that he might become a merciful and high priest in the service of God. To make, now here's our word again, propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus was the satisfaction, the appeasement of God's righteous, holy wrath on sin. By his death, he was the propitiation for the sins of the people. Do you think for one moment, when all of our collective sins and the holiness of God collides, that is going to be a neat process? Not at all. Again, he died a bloody mess, pinned, nailed to a Roman cross. We're in Hebrews, so might as well move along a little bit. Let's go to chapter nine. Remember what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's drawing a continual contrast between Christ and all of the big names in the Old Testament, all of the headliners, right? all of the people, Abraham and so forth, that Moses, that they look up to, even the angels. And his constant theme is Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better because of who he is. So look at verse 11 of chapter 9. In contrast to the earthly priests, when Christ appeared, verse 11, as a high priest of the good things that have to come, uh, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with human hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, watch this, not by means of blood and goats and calves, but by his own blood. You see, this is the essence of the gospel. The Hebrew Scriptures give us the account of the Levitical priesthood and in great detail what temple worship looked like and so on and so forth. These sacrifices that were continually made. I love how Scott Brown, if you remember him, how he talks about this with his Jewish knowledge and background. How absolutely messy this entire process was. And how there was a stench associated with the worship of God because... Of the blood. And so these priests, amongst other things, would make animal sacrifices. And so there was a constant, there were constantly was blood that was shed over and over and over again. But Jesus is different. Remember, He's better than all of the rest. When he came, he didn't bring anything, with the exception of his obedience. And remember, blood is not first mentioned right on the cross. It's mentioned in the garden. Remember when he sweat drops of blood? Have you ever asked yourself, why did Jesus suffer differently than the ones who would follow him and die for their faith? Because Jesus knew exactly what the cross meant. He knew what that meant. He who created all things. Who enjoyed the most perfect and beautiful union and fellowship with his father from eternity. Would now willingly not only bear but become our sin. Forsaken on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The weight of the cross. He did not come bringing an animal. He brought or gave or by the means of his own blood. But follow his thought, verse 13 of Hebrews 9. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, that is outward terms. Watch this, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through, watch the Trinity here, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, to his Father. What does the blood of Christ do Why does John refuse to allow you to write the blood out of the story, the narrative? Because the blood of Christ purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Remember the word regeneration? This is it. The life of God is now in the life of people. And when we correctly understand and renew our minds on the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are reminded and we know that we are forgiven. There is now no condemnation, Romans 8, 1, for those who are in Christ Jesus. None, not one, not anything. Because Jesus did not take my sin in part, but in the whole. He took all of it. And so therefore, Jesus did for us what no earthly priest could ever do with all the animals in all creation. Purify our conscience, our conscience, and free us to serve God, to love Him, to love His righteousness, and to love people. That's the blood of Jesus. This is why John says, he came by water and the blood. You're in Hebrew still, I'm assuming. So we're going to look at one more. I mean, we're here. So verse 11 of chapter 10. Remarkable statements here. Every priest stands daily in his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins, right? So the Jewish perspective is, this has been happening for a long time. Day in and day out, every single day, there are sacrifices being made, right? Every single year, there are annual gatherings and special sacrifices. All of these happening all the time. Why? Because we all sin. We do it a lot, but nothing's being fixed. It's not solving the problem. It was never intended to. It was point. It was to point to the reality. Where are we? Verse 12, but contrast when Christ had offered for all time, a single sacrifice for sins. The blood of Jesus, one time, one and done, for all time, a sacrifice for sins. What did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. His job at the cross was done. Verse 14, you might want to highlight or do something with this verse. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Think about that for just a moment. By one offering, when he shed his blood, he has perfected or sanctified, set apart our position before God. He has set us apart. We are forgiven. For all time, those in real time Who are being sanctified. See, there's the tension in Scripture, right? We're saved, we're forgiven, there's no condemnation, but we're not in heaven yet. We're still in these sinful bodies, so we're kind of working it out. And, you know, for some people, sanctification looks like that. For most people, it looks like this, you know, or down like that. But this is the beautiful gospel confidence that we have in this journey of life, in our pilgrimage, our walk with Christ. Even though we don't always get it right, because we don't, God is at work in our life, and we are forever His. You know, you can go back to uh, to First John. Um, Christine and I lost a really good friend uh, this past week. Someone who, in many ways, was almost like a parent figure in some ways to us, uh, our friend's father. Uh, I've known him since I was a teenager. Uh, He passed of cancer. But there's something about Carter that I've always appreciated. He was never in the limelight. But man, you feel his loss so much. He was so kind. The love of God was so evident in him. He just had a way of, of helping people and supporting people and encouraging people. There's something that Carter was a... Um, in his adult years, was a lifelong participant in. If you've ever been to a hotel, uh, you open maybe the drawer or perhaps right on the desk, you'll see a Bible there placed by the Gideons. It'll say, you know, placed here by the Gideons, the thought has always been that maybe people who are traveling, they're away from their regular routine, they'll kind of think about important matters. So what they do is they put a Bible in every hotel room that they can. That was Carter's heartbeat. He was a part of that. Because he knew the truth of God. He knew that the truth of God, the ministry of Christ, the hope of Christ was contained within the pages of Holy Scripture. And that's what I draw your attention to. Look at what John has said in just a verse or two. He came by water and blood. And don't you dare move the goalposts. He Not just water, but by blood as well. We'll tackle the next statement. He speaks about the Spirit giving witness. He speaks about the threefold witness. Who testifies to this solemn truth? Who testifies to the blood of Jesus? The answer is the Spirit. Jesus came to live a life that you could not live, to die a death, and to die a death that you could not accomplish. Jesus said it was the Spirit who would testify of him. The Holy Spirit always, always, always lifts up, amplifies, magnifies Jesus. It's always his his intent is to lift up the Son of God, the one who suffered and died us can you hear the apostles testifying to this truth in the midst of great persecution remember Acts chapter 4 and 5 document the persecution of the apostles of Jesus that persecution would then spread to all believers and believers will be flushed out of Jerusalem and then the gospel would go to the ends of the earth look at Acts chapter 5 Verse 32 After the apostles have been arrested for preaching Jesus, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those whom obey Him, Jesus. That's the apostolic testimony. We've seen it, we're testifying. But the one you want to pay attention to is the spirit of God. The gift that we have through the spirit is the written word of God and his testimony of the blood of the water and the blood. Go back to Matthew chapter 3 verse 16. Look at his baptism. And when Jesus was baptized immediately, he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him at the very beginning, the inauguration, as we say of the ministry of Christ, the spirit of God comes and rests on Jesus and his ministry has and will be to point people to Jesus Christ, to convict them of their sin and their need of a Savior. As we just saw in Acts chapter 5, the Spirit is the, is the one who testifies, who's the witness, whom God has given to those who obey Jesus. The Spirit came in full view, Matthew 3.16, to affirm Jesus' personal work. He's the one who would inspire human authors to give testimony of Jesus. We're landing the plane here. I want you to see Matthew chapter 27 verse 51. Here's an example of that. The written record that we have inspired by the Holy Spirit regarding the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ, the cross, Calvary. Matthew, led by the Spirit, lets you know the effect of Jesus coming by the blood. And why you dare not try to cut that out of your Bible. You can read the whole account, but this is verse 51. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. What a stupendous truth. That which up to that point had separated people from God. Was now torn in two. Not from the bottom up. As if someone was down there with a pair of scissors. Cutting it. Not at all. It was thick. And it was from the top down. And the earth shook. The rocks were split. Dead people walking around in Jerusalem. Darkness in the middle of the day. Why? Well, Because the death of Christ. Was a really big deal. The blood, the blood, John says. Don't forget the blood. All of this, John says, is wrapped up in the gospel. If you try to come in and blunt the fury and the weight of the cross, mm, you're not a Christian. That's not the Christian testimony. The sinfulness of people Colliding with the holiness of God. Jesus in his obedience. Through the drops. As he agonized. In the garden of Gethsemane. He bore it all. He who knew no sin. Became sin. For you and for me. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you notice. That bible terminology. He doesn't just say that we might be let off the hook. He doesn't just say that we'll be slipped in the back door because that's what a lot of us really think. Well, I understand how they're getting in, but you know, they'll just slide No, not at all. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness. The righteousness. We're not just forgiven. We take his Righteousness. Because I am united with Christ. So, John says Jesus came by water and the blood. Don't you, for a moment, write that last bit out or take it away. Saints, do not water down the gospel. This is our takeaway for today. Do not water down the gospel. Do not water down sin. Do not water down repentance. The need to trust in Jesus alone for our salvation. Do not water down the clear and consistent testimony of scripture from beginning to end. And do not take Jesus and fashion him into a lowercase Jesus of your own imagination. One that doesn't speak to sin. Take Jesus for who he is. Love him. Serve him. Minister the truth of the gospel. And for heaven's sakes, don't ever look down on other people. I've never understood the condescending spirit that some will have. When we are mindful of our own sin we're just busy serving him, loving him and speaking the truth in love to other people. Let's let's bow and prepare our hearts for prayer. As we labor to do every Sunday we want to magnify and lift up the name of Jesus and Show him to be who he is and to show that what we say the person and the work of Christ. That is who he is and what he has done for us. And that is exactly what John was just speaking of. The cross, the cross, the cross. Jesus died for sinners. Luke puts it this way. The son of God has come or the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Leave your works at home. Leave all the good stuff that you love to to boast about. That has nothing to do with it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Heavenly Father, thank you for the glory and for the beauty of your truth And of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the horror. The awfulness. Of the cross. Because that's our only hope. And when we see and ponder the greatest injustice. That anyone has ever experienced. Who's walked the face of the earth. Oh, we rejoice in the cross. It is the most beautiful expression of your love for people. That beautiful expression of redemption that He would take our place. Lord, we know that we face so many challenges and heartaches and difficulties in life. Refresh and renew us today in the truth and in the beauty of the gospel and of your love for us. Help us this week to grow in our trust of you. To entrust ourselves completely to you even in the mundane Build us up and fortify us in your truth. Develop our confidence in the beautiful gospel truth that because Jesus has overcome, we are overcomers in Christ. Oh Lord, let us be good news to those around us. Let them see joy in us. Let them see a hope that is not founded on the stuff we see around us. Develop our love for one another in this congregation. And of course for all believers, but in this congregation, please develop our unity in the gospel. That which knits us together. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.